Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have David Smith and Brad Johnson, co-authors of Athena Rising. Guys, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, here, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to have you both on the show. You guys are doing some interesting things, but maybe before we kind of get into the book and kind of all all the other things that you guys kind of do, let's get to know each one of you first. So maybe, Dave, do you want to kind of give a bit of background on kind of where you grew up, where you went to school, kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So, you know, I grew up in a military family, so I was a military brat. I moved around a lot. So, you know, that's always the hardest question to ask in military brats. Where are you from? Uh, lived, <laughs> sure. Lived all over the country and the world. And um, But more importantly, you know, I, I, I went on into the military and um, as a went on to be a Navy pilot, which I did for almost 20 years, including uh, command of a squadron in combat, um, and then transitioned into uh, the academic side of of what we do today and uh, became a military professor at the Naval Academy and, and specifically a sociologist. Uh, my background's in social psychology and I do all my research in the area of gender work and family. And, and teaching at the Naval Academy for the last seven years is where I met my, my good friend and colleague and co-author, uh, Brad Johnson, and uh, that's where we, we became uh, Good friends and started working together on this on this project of, of again how engaging men in the conversation about uh, mentoring women at, at work. And I'm uh, just recently retired from the military and uh, I've taken on a civilian position at the U.S. Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. Very cool. Uh, and Brad, you want to give a bit of background on yourself? You bet. Yeah. So I grew up in Spokane, Washington, and. Uh, okay. After, after graduate school in California, um, I entered the Navy as a clinical psychologist and served at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and, and then have been back at the Naval Academy as a civilian. I've been here almost 20 years um, and have been a professor here and somebody who writes and researches all about mentoring relationships and so written several books on mentoring and this last one with uh, my colleague David uh, has been all about how guys can be more thoughtful and effective mentors for women and Dave and I have been out you know busily promoting this this message uh, for the last year and and we really enjoy that Um, so that's that's a nutshell sort of background no, I, I think that's great. So I'm kind of curious to know, obviously, this topic, what you guys wrote the book on, is kind of, you know, obviously been in the media and the news a lot recently. And it's it's a pretty complicated issue. But how do you guys kind of summarize it in your kind of experience? And, and what was the kind of rationale behind writing the book? I'll start with this one. Uh, this is David. And so, you know, a lot of my, um, how I got to where we are today with the book was based on my experiences with the military and gender integration okay. and seeing that happen. Um, 
being an undergrad at the Naval Academy in the early years of gender integration in the 1980s, uh, seeing the combat exclusion law change in the early 90s and the integration of women into some of the combat specialties for the Navy in, in particular then, and, and my community in particular with uh, Naval Aviation, uh, serving on the first aircraft carrier to integrate women. Um, and then finally, you know, at the Naval Academy last year, 2016, when Congress changed the law and now opening up all combat specialties to women. And uh, again, I do my research in the area of gender, work, and family and see a need uh, to, to help solve gender inequality in the workplace. Um, men have to be part of this conversation. And for the most part, a, a lot of organizations and professions, and, and especially in traditionally male, male-dominated ones, such as the military, but there's lots of others today, uh, that are trying to solve this problem out there. And, you know, the STEM, tech industry, finance, advertising, you name it, they're all, we're all trying to solve the same problem. And, but nobody's really talking about, talking to the guys about how is this changing the workplace? How's it changing the culture? Um, why, why should we care? Why should we be involved in this? And this is what, you know, Brad and I set out to do was uh, find a way that we can enter into this conversation with guys uh, because, again, lots of people are writing and talking to women, and which is great, sure. you know, how to professionally develop themselves, how to get the most out of their careers, how to maximize all the benefits. That's, that's wonderful. But nobody's talking to the guys about, you know, hey, what's our role in this? Should we have a role? Why, why should we care? And, and why should we be doing this? And so that's what Brad and I set out to do, is to really begin to have that conversation with guys and help women also to understand um, you know, how can they help themselves in the same, in the same circumstances? No, I, I think that's great. And, and I love like that side. Cause I think sometimes I, I, I truly think majority of people try to be like decent to each other, especially in the workplace. But I think sometimes they don't know how or kind of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate or even just like how to help, right? Yep. Is that fair to say? I think that is very fair to say, Kevin. And I think I like the way you framed it, that it's not, it's not for ill will or lack of regard for colleagues or anything like that. But I think when it comes to men especially, which is who Dave and I are talking to, it very often comes with exactly as you say, not knowing what to do and, and, you know, a variety of things that might keep me on the sideline. And Dave and I talk about the reluctant male uh, in Athena Rising and the reluctant male syndrome is sort of, you know, this thing that guys can have that makes them unwilling and, you know, for a variety of reasons to kind of step up and, and mentor women, engage with them, address disparities in at the workplace. And it can be because, you know, they have stereotypes that are, you know, biased kinds of things about women that they're not even aware of. Um, they can be afraid to break the bro code, <laughs> you know, if, if there's sure, some implicit yeah, thing that, you know, we don't, we, hey, we don't help women, we help guys. If that's part of the unspoken curriculum at work, then guys may be afraid to violate that. A lot of guys are just flat out anxious about engaging women in, you know, maybe supportive, kind of friendly, you know, even non-sexual, but intimate and caring relationships with women at work. 
they just don't know how to do it and it makes them anxious. So, um, you know, for all those reasons and others, you get guys as a result kind of standing on the sidelines. And again, I don't think it's for ill will. I think it's just maybe they haven't even thought about this and they don't know what to do. Sure. No, I, I think that's fair. And I've always kind of lived by the, the motto. And I think obviously it's you guys kind of do too, where it's like everybody's dealt a hand of cards. Some hands are better than others. And like you need to figure out how to play the cards you have to your strengths. And I think the people that have better hands of cards need to help out the, uh, the people that have worse hands of cards. As long as everybody's kind of willing to, you know, kind of help each other and learn. And because I think at the end of the day, like you can learn something from anybody. It doesn't really matter kind of gender, race, you know, part of the world, whatever. In, in some ways, I think having, you know, more input from people with different backgrounds from different parts of the world and, and different kind of races and, and genders and stuff is, is actually more fascinating, at least for me, is like you just, you look at something and you say, like, I think the perfect example that comes to mind all the time that I think most people on the planet can relate to, and it doesn't have anything to do with kind of gender or race or anything, is you take the colors like red, white, and blue. North America, everybody, well, that's the American flag or, or kind of that symbolize, those colors symbolize America, right? For oversimplification. But you go to say maybe Europe and you say red, white, and blue, they would probably say, oh, well, that's the colors of like the French flag, right? And I think that part of the world would associate those colors with that. So I think like even just getting different perspectives from people on different parts of the world on, you know, kind of anything is always kind of been kind of fascinating to me. And I think that's kind of the core of what you guys are kind of talking about is, you know, you're trying to have these conversations and you're trying to help, you know, aside that's kind of dominated some of these industries for so long and having these conversations with people like yourselves that have actually kind of been there doing the research on this to actually kind of bridge that gap to teach kind of men how to have these conversations or do these things makes a lot of sense. Is that a fair statement? I know that was kind of a long ramble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Kevin. And I think, you know, your point is well taken um, and we hope that it resonates with lots of people about the, the differing perspectives and, and and seeing that and understanding what that brings, um, not just to maybe your organization, but also to you. And that's one of the sure. messages we, we like to emphasize with um, groups of men today as we're talking about this topic, because there's a lot of great reasons to engage in this conversation. And certainly you brought up the social justice, the moral reason for why we should do that, right? The, the fact that we're all dealt all sorts of hands out there of where we are today. And I, the fact that I was born a guy, you know, that's, that was the luck of the draw for me. But that doesn't mean sure. that if it gives me advantage that I shouldn't be willing to, uh, to share and make that more fair for everyone. And, but one of the things that um, as we talk to guys about this is, is understanding that, hey, there's, there's something in it for you, too, um, if you want to play the selfish card, too, in this, that, hey, we, we know that guys who have uh, at work, in particular, who are mentoring and, and working with more women, um, they also have more diverse networks out there, right? Sure. A broad set of, because, they're, they're in, again, you're in touch with more different people and groups of people across organizations and, and within your organization. 
And because of that, you also have access to insider information about parts of the organization you wouldn't normally have. I mean, if you're talking sure. to women, you, suddenly now you can begin to, because, you know, I approach it with the idea that, you know, I, I'm not a woman, so I don't necessarily understand the experiences of women, the challenges. I know they have them, but I, I don't necessarily know personally what that means and what that feels like. And so understanding that by having them in my network helps. And certainly if you have a close mentoring relationship, you get you get some of that good feedback. And then finally, we know that the research is very clear that, that men uh, have better, more enhanced interpersonal skills at work, which makes them better leaders, better people. And we also know that, that translates back at home to making you better fathers, better husbands, just better guys all around. Interesting. Yeah, like I, the, the thing, I, I think like I have a daughter and she's just about three. So obviously she's a long ways away from kind of entering the workforce. But as she kind of grows up, I like I want to try to help any way I can to encourage her to kind of do whatever she wants to do in life, whether it's, I don't know, like be an artist or work in business or start a company or whatever, right? It doesn't really matter. But trying to instill that, and I have a son as well, do that in him as well. But I I think like for me personally, and I obviously I can't speak for kind of everybody, but I feel like it's going to be harder for me to do that to my daughter than to my son. Have you guys kind of found that as well? Just because I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dave has a daughter, so Dave, I should let you tackle that one. I, I'm a I'm a dad to all sons, but I can talk about guys more generally. Um, yeah. Here, um, you know, we, we do find that you know again, Kevin. It does come back to that. Um, I, you know, I'm just not used to encouraging women to step into blank role, whatever that might be. You know, sure. the, the, the current data with Fortune 500 CEOs show that there's just a handful of those are women. So we're, okay. we're, doing, sure. we're doing a good job bringing women in the door and, you know, very talented women. And, and we give them great training. We spend lots of money to go out and get the bag. That's often, you know, a number of women. And then we don't they, they don't go far enough in the company. They don't get to the C-suite. So we're really not taking advantage of diverse leadership and, you know, varieties of, of skills that women can bring to a company that makes it much more competitive. And that's really kind of on us. And it, it's largely guys uh, who would be in a position in many of those companies to promote those talented women up the chain. And I think part of it is we don't see them. We, we don't have a lens for seeing them as future leaders. And part of that is just this implicit bias. It's how we were socialized as men, you know, nice and wonderful, but not leaders. All of that's kind of operating in the background. And you have to help guys see that. You have to help that become more transparent. They have to become aware of those natural tendencies to not shepherd women into senior leadership roles. And, you know, I think that's all part of, uh, the, the discussion we've got to have with men, and then that's got to translate into their personal mentoring relationships with women. But sure. Dave, so, it, stuff stuff on your daughter experience, is that harder or not? Well, I think, you know, I, and Kevin, maybe you'll feel the same way about this, but I think one of the things you have to think about is, you know, am I 
am I providing the same kinds of opportunities and challenges to my daughter in this case as I do my son, right? And and certainly sure. um, I don't treat them the same because they're they're two different unique people. And the same thing at work, you know. Um, I challenge people who say, well, I treat everybody the same. I'm like, well, no, you don't because I hope you don't because everybody's unique and you should, again, like as you mentioned before, we want to play to people's strengths and and help them to succeed based on who they are and what they uniquely bring and their unique experiences. So in the same way, but I think as men um, and understand if we're more self-aware and understanding our biases and, and stereotypes that we might be, uh, listening to or, or verse two, we have to acknowledge those and, and then and, and use you know our brain a little bit, the decision-making part of it, and go, hey, all right, so am I doing the same things for her that I am for him and, and, and providing the same opportunities and challenges? Because, you know, as Brad mentioned, there's uh, lots of biases and stereotypes there about, you know, men and women, in particular with women, that maybe I don't challenge her as much because I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, she can't handle it. She's not tough enough. Um, She's going to cry if I, if I give her or get emotional, if I give her critical feedback. Um, and that's, you know, that's not fair, right? That's the, the back to the social justice piece. It's not fair to her because she's not getting the same opportunities to develop and grow into the person that she needs to be that he is. And so those are the things yeah, I think you have to think about. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so what are some things that kind of men can do to, to kind of, bridge the gap yeah well so we we have a whole book full we could it start anywhere Ken, but um maybe at the most basic level um you, you know it is sort of recognizing the talented women around you at work um who who aren't getting mentored and you know, again, and especially in male-centric organizations where you don't have a lot of women in high-ranking kinds of positions, junior women aren't getting mentored, and at least not at the same rate. Um, and it's not fair to put that all on senior women because you just aren't enough of them uh, in sure. organizations. So, and yep. No, but I, like just to get to the mentoring thing. So, yep. How do you kind of approach that? Because like. There's ought to be, you know, like obviously pick somebody that you're to your point, like so maybe somebody that's kind of a bit more junior and you're like, you know, I would really like to mentor this person because I think they have a lot of potential to be great or C-suite or, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But how do you kind of start that conversation with somebody where it clearly comes across as just like, I just want to help you grow your career because I see a lot, you know, of potential for you either at this company or, or in your career without kind of it coming across as anything other than kind of just looking to, you know, mentor them to help them because you, th- you kind of, maybe you see parts of yourself in them. Yep. Yeah. Well, I can, I can start off with that and Dave jump in. Um, so, okay. I, you yeah. know, I, I think that's exactly right, Kevin, that you, that that's exactly how I would recommend guys do this. Open your eyes Think about the senior or not senior, junior women around you who have lots of promise. Ask yourself, 
am mentoring as many women as I am men. Uh, do I tend to favor men, you know, when I, I have these developmental kinds of relationships? And then I would start, you know, identifying that and reaching out and, and saying things exactly as you suggested. Hey, you are terrific at this. I'm really glad we hired you. Uh, you're exactly what we need for for, you know, this, this position. We think about putting your name in the hat, really see you in that role. Um, these basic affirmative, uh, encouraging kinds of things. And one little caveat, Kevin, is I, I, in fact, I would say don't identify yourself as a mentor uh, early on in the relationship. I would say just start doing that work. Be encouraging, okay. be supportive, identify your talents out loud, think about her. This is how you really start promoting somebody. And later on, let her describe you as a mentor. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself that early. It's a little presumptuous, especially if I'm a, a more senior male. There's some privilege involved there. So I wouldn't do that. I would just start doing the work. Dave, okay. any thoughts you have? Yeah, I would also add, you know, one of the things that is we're talking about guys and they're, if, if they haven't done a lot of mentoring or, you know, developmental work with women before, as you're, as you're doing this, uh, think about also some of the just kind of the structural aspects of it. So the, the who, what, when, where, why, you know, that whole, that whole list. And one of the ones that, you know, some of the guys, we didn't talk about already, but some, some of the guys are concerned about perceptions, right, that what are my peers, my colleagues, my, my boss, what are, what are people going to say if I start mentoring, you know, younger junior women? And so we, we, we talked to them about addressing that in particular and lots of best practices out there today, men talking about, Hey, look, you need to think about, you know, one being consistent and transparent about what you're doing. So when you mentor, um, some people have policies around, Hey, I only mentor, for example, at, I have a breakfast lunch policy. I think it was uh, one of the executives at Goldman Sachs we talked to. Interesting. Only because he realized that after, you know, after hours, at, you know, after work or at dinner, um, women weren't as interested in being involved in mentoring with him because there was the perception from them, their side as well, and there could also be, you know, other issues if if they're married or have partners and. You know, women tend to have more caregiving uh, duties out there, and so it's just it's inconvenient to do it. Period. So thinking about the sure. win, uh, and and then doing it in places, you know, be up front, be out there in the open, be in a public, you know, go. Where does everybody gather in your organization for coffee, or do you have a break room where people sit down to eat, and we can sit down and people can see you doing this, and it's out in the open, and that way you don't give any, you don't give people things to talk about there, and. Some guys are worried about their spouses or partners as well. And again, we say, hey, you don't hide it. You know, talk to your spouse or your partner about um, all your mentees, you know, and, including the women, and, and give them a chance to meet them if you get that opportunity. It's always a great way to kind of break the ice a little bit and, and get past that. Um, and some of the same things, you know, organizations, we talk to them about um, how they share insider knowledge and access to, you know, hidden politics and things. And so, you know, doing it in a, on a day of the week or um, like social functions like golf, for example, is one that comes up quite a bit. You know, is it done at a time or a day or in an a area setting that's appropriate and it's open basically for everybody to attend? And that's, you know, something that mentors should be looking at is, 
hey, or as I'm looking around, who's here and who's not here? Who's getting access to information, knowledge, people, networking, everything we know that it takes to be successful in lots of different kinds of organizations out there today. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of these kind of the, the foundational structural aspects that we ought to think about before we go into uh, having these mentoring relationships with, with women if we haven't done it before. Sure. Do you find that different generations are better at it than others? Like, do you find maybe, I don't know, like the millennial generation is is maybe easier at mentoring younger people than maybe some of the, the older generations? Or is that not a fair comment? Well, well I, I don't like to... Go ahead, Brad. Go ahead, Dave. Okay. I was just going to say, you know, um, <laughs> I don't like to, to stereotype generations too much. But what, okay. I, would tell you, what I would tell you is that... Um, you know, based on the way the millennial generation, Gen Zers, um, have been raised by their parents, we're already starting to see in the research that they have a more gender-inclusive perspective, um, you know, at work about the roles and relationships at work. So they're, they're coming into the workplace with that, and we're, so we're already seeing that. Uh, you know, the challenge is they're meeting then the Gen Xers and the, the end of the baby boomers now who have a very different perspective on on you know, gender ideologies and roles and relationships at work. And so they're, they're meeting that challenge. Um, but, but yeah, so in general, yes, the, the millennials and the Gen Zers coming into the workplace today do have a much more gender inclusive perspective of how they interact with people and are much more open to, uh, to that. I think Brad, do you want to add to that? No, I think you're right. I, I think though that, you know, as you say, we bring these young men into these organizations. Um, who knows what happens at that point, but they do tend to get socialized by other men. And, and so youth itself is not a solution. So if you look at the tech industry in Silicon Valley, um, you know, the bro culture in many of those companies is just toxic for women. It really is toxic for women. And they're having a terrible time retaining these great women they bring in the door and and that, so those are young men, you know, largely. And, and so age itself is not a solution. But I think, as Dave said, if we can be careful about the messages these young men get as they come into companies and we're thoughtful about how young men are mentored, that's all part of the solution, too, I think. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as you mentioned, I think, earlier, Kevin, that, you know, I think men broadly – um, you know, if you, if you, if I ask you about your relationship, um, you know, with your daughter or with your wife or with your mother, you would be in every, every man is probably going to tell you that, yeah, I'm all about, you know, them having all the same opportunities and, and to do all the great things that they deserve to do. So very much a, you know, a, a very gender equal or, you know, providing equity for women. We, we think about the women at, uh, that we live with and, and we have relationships with at home. The problem is, is when we go out in public and we get around other guys and we run back at work and suddenly we become silent about that. And so I think guys have that, you know, they believe it to some extent. It's a matter of acting upon it, you know, having the courage uh, to act and not worried about what other people are going to say or think if they, they start doing or saying these kinds of things at work. No, I, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I, I think that's, that's a struggle that, you know, people have struggled with for, for a long time, right? The, the thing that I find 
Well, I, I kind of want your your guys' thoughts on it. And I, I like even the CEO of the company that I work for as my day jobs is female. And I've had a bunch of kind of really successful females on the show. Um, and, you know, their point has always kind of been, they've always kind of figured out how to just not let it be an issue of gender and like they'll go into a room and just kind of own it and you know maybe they're they're skeptical at the beginning and there might be people around the table but you know they've kind of proved that they know what they're talking about and and kind of just you know basically own it for lack of a better term on that and that always kind of resonated with me because it's kind of like sure and and I, I think some of the the people that have been the most complain or the comp- people that complain the most or kind of whine the most that I've worked with in kind of the tech industry are, are like white males, to be 100% honest with you. And <laughs> as a white male, I think I can kind of make fun of other white males that, that do that, right? And so for me, it's, I and I get I'm not in Silicon Valley, so I, I think that's maybe not really a fair comparison. But for me, I've never really seen it as like a huge issue I, I think in some ways um in the companies i've worked for they've been more embraced than kind of um you know kind of not cared about or, or kind of so I, it's kind of an interesting thing for me to to think about and kind of talk about that mm-hmm. in, in some cases i think they've been more successful in, in you know in in my personal experience and if they just kind of show up and own it and then nobody seems to care i, yeah. I get that i in the tech yeah. industry it's kind of a weird dilemma but what are your guys's kind of thoughts on that have you guys have research to support that kind of theory where if you just figure out how to own it and whether it's fair or not it doesn't really matter as long as you just kind of be who you are you are and show that you can do the job just as good if not better so it's interesting kevin yeah there is research out there and yeah. i put this in the book and we talk about it quite a bit but you know one of the things you mentioned is this hey and the women know this they've been taught they've learned it in some cases that hey if i can just prove it prove to everyone else that i'm good enough and not just and it's not just good enough it's it's i'm as good or better um than the men and everybody else and that i'm competing with then it'll be fine and, you know, nowhere else, you know, do we find that defined more clearly as, as we do in the military. And, and all the women, I think, have learned that somewhere along the way that I just if I, I can just outperform everybody, it's fine. And, and that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, with being one, being competitive and two, performing at a high level. I think that's something that we all value. Um, however, you know, for me as a guy, um, I don't have to when I go into a new job. I don't necessarily have to go in and prove prove myself. Even for applying for jobs, I don't necessarily have sure. to prove myself. I get the you know, I come to you and I go, hey Kevin, I think I think I'd like to do this job, and I think I might be pretty good at it. And you you look at me and you go, yeah, you haven't done this, 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 and this, but yeah, you're probably okay. You're probably going to do well in no. it anyway. And I get the you know, I get the nod on the potential, right? Just plain potential. Sure. And women, yeah, don't okay, that. that's a fair point. You know. And so um, researchers have written about this, um, you know, in particular, it's been called the prove it again bias, uh, where women um, have to come in one and they're going to have to come into a new job with all just to get the job, come in with all of this, you know, 
proof that they can handle the job, that we can trust them with the job. And then two, when they get in the job, they're continually having to prove themselves. Whereas for men, that's not the case typically. Um, again, if, yeah, we, if we prove we're incompetent, well, yeah, you're going to get fired or whatever's going to happen, right? But until you proved you're incompetent, you're, you're therefore competent as a man. And so that's yeah, one of the challenges that, you know, the women, uh, they're, they're working against all the time. And, and some of them know it. They've, they've experienced it and they've thought about it and they, and they kind of get it. Um, and others have maybe haven't, you know, had time to think about it yet. I understand it that way. Brad? Well, I, yeah. And the other thing, Kevin, you mentioned these women that you've worked with that, you know, just walk in and own it and don't let it, you know, they appear not to even think about gender and they just kind of go forth and they're they're incredibly competent and they work their way up. I think that's wonderful when it happens, but I I think that's putting an awful lot on women's shoulders. And, you know, there, there are a range of, you know, uh, kind of personalities and styles and not all women may easily approach it that way. And I, I, uh, here's my thought. I think if we wait for women to kind of do this themselves and just kind of, uh, you know, perform their way uh, to the top and, and, you know, do it despite all the things working against them in terms of gender bias, it's going to take a long time. And I think we can speed this up if guys step up and, and at least become allies and call out things they see going on at work and, you know, talk about disparities and, and they step in and they, um, they, they'll they say something at the boardroom table when her ideas get dismissed and then some other guy, you know, appropriates her idea. And, and you know, uh, I think a good male ally will say, hey, wait a minute, help me understand how what you just said is any different than what Kathy said five minutes ago. I think if guys do that, it speeds up this process considerably. Sure. And, and actually, that's interesting, because to your point a second ago, like, you don't have to necessarily call somebody out, but you're basically, like, to your point, like, well, how is that different than what she said five minutes ago, yep. is, is like a nice way of calling it out, right? You're not, like, reaching over the table, yelling at somebody for stealing somebody's idea. You're you're basically posing it as more of, like, a question, right? Instead yes. of, like, just calling somebody out. Yeah, that's, yeah. Cool. that's a good yeah. point. Well, and I think you've got to be careful about calling people out because if you do that, if you're a guy and you're calling people out at work on behalf of a woman that you're mentoring, that's going to come across as bullying. And I think that also fuels um, gossip that, oh, maybe you guys are involved sure. or something because, you know, why else would you get that angry? You know, so I do think you have to be diplomatic, but but persistent. No, sure. And, like, obviously we're not going to, you know, like it's hard to cover all this stuff in, you know, 45 or so minute interview. But I am kind of, I'm glad that we're having this conversation, right? Because I, I think more and more people need to be aware. It's more and more in the media. And I think as people get more comfortable kind of even just talking about it or listening to other people talk about it, I, I think it's great. But I am curious to know some more thoughts on this stuff, right? Because obviously you guys have the research to kind of back it up. You guys have been in, um, you know, military's kind of been a male-dominated industry historically. Um, I I know I was reading something the other day that they were saying that, like, there was evidence that there was some female Vikings, like, you know, back in the the Viking days, which I thought was kind of fascinating. But (laughs) that's kind of a side (laughs) tangent. But, but, But I think, like, 
I, I think just having this conversation and, and talking about it more and you guys have research to back it up and you guys are starting to see this in kind of the industry that you've been in, you know, your most of your guys' career, like how else can people kind of bridge the gap or, or kind of work on themselves to kind of make it more equal for kind of everybody? Yeah. Dave, you want to lead off? Sure. You know, one of the things we haven't, I don't think we've talked about is, um, one, just basically how do we approach the mentoring relationship? And I think lots of people have ideas about what mentoring or mentorship is all about. And um, okay. and it's just kind of top-down, very hierarchical, just infused with all sorts of power dynamics, of course. And, and, and that is kind of a very traditional way to think about it, and, and that you have a mentor. And one of the things we try to dispel is that, no, we would like you to think about mentoring as more of a kind of a two-way mutual collegial relationship, right? Where, you know, you as the mentor, um, in this case, if you're the man, the more senior person as a mentor, you can actually learn from her, right? Just like I said before, sure. guys, what's in it for me? Hey, you can, besides diversifying your network, you're going to learn something about somebody else's experiences that's going to make you a better leader, a better person, a better mentor for others out there. So it was really interesting, um, you know, as we did the research for the book, besides summarizing all, you know, the wealth of social science evidence that's out there, um, we went and talked to about 30 of the most high-flying, successful women across industries and professions out there. And we got a chance to we asked them, hey, so what worked, what didn't work, what'd you like, what didn't, what didn't you like? And then we got to talk to their male mentors, who, again, are some really powerful people, right? And, and sure. one of the things that almost every single male mentor said to us was, you know, after talking about this, I feel like, I feel kind of guilty. I think I learned more and I got more out of this relationship than she did, which was really kind of an eye opener for them and, and for us, because almost every single one of them said that to us. Um, but it gets at this point that, again, the way you approach that relationship um, is really important. And also not that it's a, you know, again, we shouldn't have just one mentor. We should have a network of mentors, right? Because I think most of us understand yep. that today that I don't have one mentor. I have lots of mentors for different parts of my career, my profession, my family, all sorts of things that are useful for me. Um, I have lots of mentors, and, and we should remember that when we don't have all the answers as a mentor, and if I don't have the answer and it's something that she needs or she wants um, to grow and, and what she's doing, then I should help. As a mentor, I do have a lot of networks, and I have a lot of connections. So I go, hey, you need to talk to Kevin because Kevin is an expert in this area, and, and I know he has access to do these things, and so I'm going to make that connection for her to go do those things. And so – um, not trying to, you know, be jealous or hoard her or anything, you know, like she's my mentee. Don't get into that whole power dynamic and try to loosen up on, the, on how we approach that. Sure. So how do you guys deal with, like, obviously, if you're upper management, for example, or you're even C-level, but you're maybe not the CEO and let hypothetically, if the CEO is kind of totally against this and for whatever reason, maybe it's generational, maybe it's just his opinion, maybe it's whatever else, it doesn't really matter. But like, how do you, as like, say, upper management or, or some other C-level actually kind of address stuff like that with somebody that's that stubborn? 
<laughs> that, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's so funny you ask that, Kevin, because it, it, it's such a self-defeating attitude. I mean, I, I'm sure those guys are out there, but when you look at the data, I mean, this is not this is not top secret stuff. The, the data is widely available that the more women you promote into senior leadership so that senior leadership becomes truly gender balanced, there's a clear connection between bottom line stuff, you know, productivity, um, uh, you know, uh, income, productivity, and, and just bottom line success in, in terms of companies' output. And you find that across different industries. You find it in universities. You find it everywhere that this gender balance, and I, I would just say diversity, you know, broadly is good for the bottom line and there's not much secret about that anymore so if i have a ceo or ceo who's who's resistant to that message i have to shake my head a bit and i'm guessing the board of directors will be shaking their collective heads because this is really undermining you know the whole mission and so i'm not sure you know what else you can do if the person's uh, not willing to look at the data and kind of think about that and what it means for the company, um, you might need somebody else in that position. And they, That's kind of what I figured you'd say, but yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and they usually do. They usually do, you know, especially businesses, you know, you respond to the bottom line uh, for the most part. Sure. Now, there's lots of organizations, I mean, the military, for example, um, other national security organizations today that it's not about a bottom line, right? It's not a profit, so to speak. It's, it's more about mission accomplishment, mission success. And all the federal agencies, all the national security organizations out there are dealing with this. And they're all, oh, by the way, dealing with the same issue about how do we, how do we create more gender balanced leadership teams out there? Um, but they're also be figuring out very quickly that, so for example, you know, um, the SEALs recently, right? In the military, in the Navy, they were some of the first ones to jump on board the whole idea that, hey, we need to open up combat, these combat specialties like the SEALs to women because we need them. We need them to get the job done. And it's, they've learned, you know, the course of the, you know, the last 16 years of this war we're in that, you know, I need women out there to be able to work with the teams and be able to do the job. Female engagement teams, same thing for the Marine Corps, you know, lioness teams for the Army, same thing. Couldn't get the job done or couldn't do it safely without the women on the teams. So everybody's finding, again, the reasons why, and I think senior leaders are, are jumping on board with that. Sure. Well, and you're basically, el well, eliminating, what, half the po the world's population? Basically. Exactly. It's not 50-50, like, yeah. but, like, it's, it's close. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's such an important point, Kevin. I mean, you think about the bell curve in terms of IQ and emotional intelligence and creativity, if you just if you just cut out 50% of those folks at the top of the curve, your company's going nowhere. You know, your organization's going nowhere. You're not going to compete. So, yeah, it is so self-defeating not to be as inclusive and balanced as you can. Yeah, and, and just uh, the thing that I always find funny about the whole issue in Silicon Valley is like the first programmer ever in the history of the world was a female. And so now that like males are like attacking females in, in that kind of space is is kind of interesting to me because it potentially 
maybe would never be a thing without her, right? I forget her name. Uh, of course, great I forget popper. her name when I were recording. Was it Great Sorry? Popper? Yeah, yeah, that sounds, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. But like, so she kicked the whole thing off, right? Yeah. And so obviously we, at some point, the male population pushed females out of that industry because it started with them, right? And so that that's always kind of fascinated me that that's just been a thing, right? Since the beginning of programming. Yeah. So I, but guys, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So let's maybe close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and, and the book um, and uh, any other social media links you want, you guys want to mention? Yeah. So uh, it, this is Brad. And, and so you can find out more about what I'm doing at wbradjohnson.com. And you can certainly find Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women, at any bookstore on Amazon.com. And uh, be, I'd be happy to have people follow up with me. Yeah, this is David. And again, you can find me on my personal website, davidgsmithphd.com. And what we're, what we're up to, where we're speaking, and what we do. And, and certainly the book is available on Amazon and all the formats out there. And uh, I'm also on all, all the social media under the same, the same handle there, David G. Smith, PhD. And so love to connect with people who are interested in talking more about this topic. Perfect, guys. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show and look forward, forward to keeping in touch with you guys and have a good rest of your day. Hey, thanks, Kevin. You too. Thanks, guys. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.